All right, let's get started. We are uh, continuing our series on prayer. Last week we started this series, and it's one of those topics that there have been thousands of books written on prayer by people who uh, are well-practiced in the art, and I think every single one of them has a ton of good stuff to say to the body of Christ. But uh, we decided this time, um, because I am feel myself like a novice in the act of prayer, like we would... Uh, we would turn to a master. We would look at somebody who really knew how to pray. Um, so we thought we would turn to Jesus to teach us. We're calling this prayer a master class. Um, and we're modeling it after the popular master class series. If you've never seen these commercials, man, go on YouTube and look these up. The commercials themselves are like compelling and make you want to learn stuff. Um, what they do is instead of like asking a professional teacher to teach a subject, they find like somebody who has kind of clearly and undisputedly mastered a craft, um, everything from shooting a basketball to business to uh, leadership stuff to singing to uh, uh, writing uh, TV scripts, like everything. And they take these people who have been really, really successful, and they have them come teach uh, on their field, and they kind of give their process. And, uh, and uh, so they teach their audience how to do it. So what we thought was... Uh, we would make this study a little different than some studies on prayer in that uh, we wouldn't just teach on prayer. Uh, we would actually look at Jesus's example on how to pray. We are using kind of his outline known as the Lord's Prayer. But more than that, we're looking at how Jesus himself prayed. And so we're going to be digging in. We only have eight recorded prayers of Jesus's uh, in the scripture. Obviously, he prayed more than eight times. But um, there's eight of them that are written down. So we'll be looking at each one of those over this series. So we're going to Jesus, kind of our master teacher, um, and looking at how he prayed so that we can pray like he did. So last week we broke uh, the Lord's Prayer into this really rough outline, uh, focusing primarily on two types of prayer, both represented in the Lord's Prayer. Last week I briefly highlighted that when Jesus gave the Lord Prayer, he kind of bookended it with, with praise, with worship, with um, some, some adoration. Uh, and even though we're not digging into that um, in this series, uh, it is important. In fact, we may wind up piggybacking on the end of this series and, and doing a, a couple installments on worship. But uh, super important. But we're sticking primarily with that core, those core prayers. Um, Jesus told us to... Um, ask for things, give us this daily bread, and then to do a slower, deeper work of confessing and forgiving, processing prayers. Jesus modeled both of these types of prayer, which we're going to cover over the next few weeks. Um, but for those of you who like catchier um, phrases and, and titles and things, um, I, gave it, uh, I gave you guys this. Jesus gave us three kinds of prayers in the Lord's Prayer. Upward prayers, outward prayers, and inward prayers. Upward prayers are the bookends. Our Father in heaven, holy is your name. Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Those are prayers that go in one direction, straight from us to God, straight line upward. We tell God how awesome he is. And then there's outward prayers. Give us this day the things we need, our daily bread. This is where we pray about the stuff that's out there that we really want to come in here. We, we pray about the stuff the things that we currently need that are currently out of our reach for some reason, food, money, jobs, healing, wisdom, the things that are out there, the out there stuff. These are outward prayers. We pray and ask God to move some of that stuff out there to us. 
So outward prayer is focused on the stuff that we need. And then there's inward prayer. Forgive my brokenness and sinfulness and search my heart for the places where I'm putting myself above God and withholding forgiveness. This is inviting God inward into what's going on in our guts. It's taking a guided tour of the 90% of the iceberg that you can't see. It's saying, I've never killed anyone, but Jesus, come in and deal with the anger that no one sees. Or I'm sexually faithful to my spouse, but Jesus, move inward and, and let's talk about that crush that I know I shouldn't have. Move inward and, and deal with the lust that no one sees. We're focusing primarily on outward and inward prayers in this series, but as I say, we may tack on something for upward prayers too. But this week we're talking about how to ask for things. The petitioning prayers, the outward prayers. This is probably the type of prayer most of us are familiar with. In fact, most people surveyed when they asked to define prayer and they say they pray regularly, they define it as to ask God for things or the universe or a divine being or whatever. But most people only pray outward prayers. And although there's a limited view of prayer, that's still okay. That We're supposed to ask God for stuff. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 7. Don't waste what is holy on people who are unholy. Don't throw your pearls to pigs. They will trample the pearls and then turn and attack you. Keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives. Everyone who seeks finds. And everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. You parents, if your child asks for a loaf of bread, would you give him a stone instead? Or if he asks for a fish, would you give him a snake? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask him? Many of us are pretty familiar with this passage. Ask, seek, and knock. Jesus is not only giving us permission to ask God for what we need, but it feels like he's commanding it. And I believe there's a good reason for that. If you look back at verse 6 where we started, there's this weird verse that a lot of Bibles actually treat like it's its own pericope. It kind of breaks it into its own little section. Don't waste what is holy on people who are unholy. Don't throw your pearls before pigs. They will trample the pearls and turn and attack you. This doesn't really feel like it goes with this passage. It, doesn't, it definitely doesn't go with the passage before where Jesus is telling us to make sure we get the two by four out of our eye before we start trying to get the little tiny speck out of our neighbor's eye. So this doesn't really go with that. And the ask, seek, and knock pericope feels like it kind of goes all by itself. And so there's just always been this one line that kind of sticks out. This pearls before swine thing. And nobody really knows what to do with this. So a lot of Bibles, if you look at your Bible, will actually divide it like it's its own paragraph. I personally think that the ask, seek, and knock passage is dependent on this passage, which we're going to talk about. Break it down a little bit. In the Old Testament, there's a story about this guy named Esau who was, had a twin brother named Jacob. Esau was the oldest. He was born a few seconds earlier. And he, and he got so tired and hungry one day while he was out hunting that as he's coming back to camp, he literally didn't think he was going to make it to his tent and get food before he died. And so he's passing his brother's tent and he smells beans cooking. And Esau traded, because he thought he was dying, he traded his inheritance, his birthright, everything the firstborn would get, 
he traded for a bowl of beans. So for 37, 3,800 years, we oftentimes refer to the, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And if not for a bowl of beans, it would be Abraham, Isaac, and Esau. He traded everything for a bowl of beans. Why? And the answer is really simple, almost so simple, we miss it. He was hungry. He was hungry. It sounds silly, but Esau allowed his hunger, he allowed his needs to get too big for him to handle. He allowed his needs to get so big that he did something stupid. So let's look back at Jesus' weird statement about casting our pearls before swine. Jesus said, don't take the things that are important. Don't take the things that are precious. Don't take the things that you, you really, really need to the wrong place. Don't allow your needs to get so big that you take them to the wrong place or it could blow up on you. What did Esau do? He allowed his hunger, his need to get so big that he took it to the wrong place. He cast his pearl before swine. Right after telling us to take what is precious, what is truly needed to the right place, don't take it to the wrong place. Don't cast it before swine. He turns around and immediately goes, ask God. Seek from God. Knock on God's door. I can't even begin to estimate how much damage is done in our world because people are walking around hungry. Hungry for love. Hungry for recognition. Hungry for acceptance. Hungry for food. Hungry for opportunity. And Jesus is saying, be really, really careful where you take that hunger. If you take hunger for love to the wrong place, terrible things will happen. If you take hunger for acceptance to the wrong place, you find a great deal of pain. How many of us have traded our birthright for beans? Because instead of taking our needs to God and waiting and asking and seeking and knocking, we cast our pearl before swine. So I believe Jesus is not only allowing us to ask, seek, and knock. He's giving us this dire warning that we need to do this. We don't dare allow our needs to go unasked lest we find ourselves in Esau's spot, trading our birthright for beans. But I think there's another reason we have to ask. See, there's this funny little theological burr that gets underneath some of our prayer saddles. And I'm comp- I, I struggle with this myself, but if God is my provider and he's, he's promised to care for me as his child, I'm completely sustained by him and he knows everything I need and half of what I think I need is only a want and he knows better anyway. Well, if all that is true, what purpose does prayer really serve. Anybody ever struggle with that a little bit in your minds? I mean, do we really think God is sitting in heaven going, well, I wasn't going to give you this. It's really not good for you, but you asked for it a lot, so I'll give it anyway. Or do we think God is going, man, I've got this awesome thing for you that would be really good for you and really good for the body, but you haven't asked for it yet and it's killing me, so I just can't give it to you. I have like a problem with both those scenarios, but the alternative seems to feel like prayer is just kind of this unnecessary formality. 
Well, I found peace in something John Calvin wrote in the Institutes of the Christian Religion about prayer, where he said, anything good we receive comes from God. But that which we do not ask for, we will naturally attribute to our own skill and ingenuity and hard work. The things that we get that we don't ask for, we'll naturally assume we got them for ourselves. He said, the things that you ask for, that God answers, those things you are most grateful for. I read this uh, journal of a preacher who decided to do an experiment where he went to bed every single night uh, praying, God, please give me just one more day to serve you. That's all I want is one more day to do your work. And he woke up the next morning and said at first it felt like a kind of an empty ritual, but before long he would go to bed praying that prayer every night and when he would wake up, the very first thought to hit his head was, yes, thank God I get another day. Because he asked for it. The second he asked for it, when he received it, he recognized where it came from. I mean, we're all like sometimes generically grateful for the things we have, but have you ever prayed for something and God answers it just like that and you feel the difference? I mean, how many mornings did that guy wake up and it was just another morning? But the second he learned to pray and ask for that morning, he started to see God's hand everywhere. Sometimes the depths of how prayer works are above our pay grade. All we know is it's good to ask. And when we do ask, we are crazy grateful when he answers. So Jesus tells us to ask, ask, seek, knock. Don't you dare let those things go unasked or your hunger might get too big for you. And you'll cast your pearl before swine. So we ask. But there is a caveat that we can learn from the master. And this is why we are in a master class. Jesus tells us to ask, seek, and knock. But that's just a teaching. Jesus does it different and we want to learn his process. That's why we're in a master class anyway. There's this famous prayer that Jesus prays in the garden right before he's arrested. He asks his his disciples to stay awake with him and pray. And he went off alone and he prayed like this. Abba, Father, he cried out, everything is possible for you. Please take this cup of suffering away from me. Notice Jesus starts with an upward prayer. He tells God how awesome he is. Everything is possible for you. But then he asks for what he needs. God, take this suffering away. I don't want to do this. Help me. And I know there's only one line, but we can learn so much for this. First, Jesus is praying for exactly what he wants. This is super important to catch. I mean, he came to earth on our behalf to suffer. That's why he came. John says he's the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. He spent the last several weeks of his life, maybe months, telling his disciples this is going to happen. And yet he's asking if he can get out of it. So he's not, he's not trying to figure out God's will here. He's asking for exactly what he wants in his guts, his desires. And then he tacks on this beautiful phrase that we're pretty familiar with. Yet, I want your will to be done, not mine. We have a tendency to make this super complicated. I've spent hours trying to sort out 
what I want from what God's will is. Like, and I, I want to pray according to God's will, and I want to make sure the things I ask for are according to his will. And so, you know, I'm constantly trying to sort out, you know, what is and what is not God's will. And Jesus didn't do this. He didn't even bother to do this. He just goes, this is what I want. But I want you more. He, he didn't hesitate to say, this is, this, is, this is what's in my guts. This is what I'm feeling. This is, this is everything I want. He kept it simple. Never mind why he came to earth. Never mind what's good for the plan of God. Never mind what's best for others. He asked for exactly what he wanted. And then he deferred to God's will. Can you sense how much healthier that is psychologically rather than trying to figure out exactly what God wants to hear? There is no prayer too selfish for you to pray. There is no need or want too outrageous for you to ask God for. There is simply nothing we can't seek from God. And honestly, I believe it's really healthy and authentic to bring that stuff to him. The things we really, really selfishly want. As long as afterward we defer to God's will, which is best for us in the end. Jesus actually snuck this into his prayer outline in the Lord's Prayer. A lot of us miss it. He starts his prayer with, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And then he starts asking, Give us this day our daily bread. St. Augustine, when he wrote about the Lord's Prayer, said, We should first seek to align ourselves with the fact that God's will should be our true desire. It is what is absolutely best. And then after that, ask for all the crazy stuff you want to ask for. He didn't say crazy stuff. That was like 300 AD, but paraphrase. Whenever Esther and I go out to eat, we do this stupid thing that I think a lot of couples do where I ask her where she wants to eat. And I I say, wherever you want, literally. She follows with, totally up to you. And I say, everything sounds good to me, you pick. And... On and on and on. Usually we, we kindly and graciously defer to each other's desires until we wind up in a bitter and vicious fight while driving aimlessly toward a restaurant we haven't chosen yet. And either of us would love for the other one to go, really I'm in the mood for Chinese, but if you want something else, I would defer to you. And that's what we do with God. We go, God, this is what I want. This is what I would love to have, but I defer to you. You know better. This is what's in the depths of my guts. But I know your will is better. You see more. So the first type of prayer, the first type of outward prayer that Jesus prays is for himself. He prays for himself, exactly what he wants in the moment. And he defers to God's will. And if you're keeping score, last week I told you we were covering three of Jesus' prayers this week praying for self, praying for others, and praying for enemies. So if you're looking at the clock and you're starting to panic that we're only a third of the way through, relax. This was the long one. The other one's built off of it. I promise you'll get out in time to argue about where you're having lunch. So let's look at the praying for others. This is actually one of my favorite parts of the Lord's Prayer, and it's really easy to miss if you don't pay attention to the language. And that's the fact that the Lord's Prayer is actually corporate. Look at the wording, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Give us this day our daily bread. Jesus didn't tell us to pray, my Father in heaven, give me my daily bread. 
Jesus said when we pray, we never really pray alone. Even when we pray alone, we never really pray alone. There's, there's a corporate quality to prayer. As we pray for things we want, we also pray for things that others want. So I take that to mean however I pray for myself, however crazy and selfishly and I pray for myself, I do the same for others. And then I defer to God's will. We pray the same way. When you send me prayer requests on Monday nights, I don't, I don't spend any time trying to figure out if that's God's will for your life. I just pray that God would just pour crazy blessings all over your head more than you can contain. And then I tack on, let your will be done. I ask for God's will. We don't have one prayer for ourselves and a different prayer for others. We pray that God would give us our daily bread. Martin Luther in his book on the Lord's Prayer gave uh, examples of how we can use the Lord's Prayer um, as an outline for our own spontaneous prayers. And in one of his examples he gives, he says to pray that God would give us our daily bread is actually a prayer against social injustice. That when we pray, God, give us our daily bread, we're praying against those who oppress the poor and don't allow them to get their daily bread. We pray against principalities and powers that keep people from having what they need. To pray that, that we would all have our daily bread is to, to pray against the, the things that keep people from getting their daily bread. It's a prayer for equality and opportunity. So we pray for each other the same way we pray for ourselves with one interesting caveat that we'll get from the master. So we're going to listen in on Jesus as he prays. This is in John 11. Jesus travels to Bethany to pray for his friend Lazarus who has died. Jesus apparently prays for him um, in some way that we don't have a record of. Uh, But what we do get is the very, very last part. It says this. Then Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me, but I said it out loud for the sake of those people standing here so that they would believe that you sent me. Some people struggle with this one, but I think we, when we pray for people, we need to let them know we're praying for them. And if possible, if we really want to pray like the Master, we pray out loud for them. If I'm honest, I used to have a major problem with this. Have you ever heard someone pray and it just feels like they're praying more for the room than they are for God? They're talking more to you than they are to God. It's like the two brothers who were spending the night at their grandma's house and as they went to bed, the older brother kneels beside his bed, crosses his fingers, places them under his chin, looked to heaven and prayed softly, but loud enough for his little brother to hear, Lord, thank you for all your blessings, but please, I really, really want a new bike for Christmas. And then following his big brother's example, the younger brother knelt beside his bed, crossed his fingers, placed them under his chin, looked to heaven and shouted at the top of his voice, Lord, thank you for all your blessings, but please, I really, really want a new bike for Christmas. They both crawled into bed and got tucked in and the older brother says, you know, you don't have to shout. God's not hard of hearing. And the little brother says, I know, but grandma is. If we're honest, we pray some prayers so people in the room will hear them more than so that God will hear them. And this is okay. Jesus admits in this passage that the only reason he prayed out loud 
was so the people listening would hear him and believe. So if we're asking Jesus to divulge his prayer secrets to us in this master class, this is a tricky one. Prayer is weirdly corporate. It's corporate in that we pray together all in the same room sometimes. And it's corporate in that even when we're not praying together, we're praying together. And we pray out loud so that each other's faith and beliefs can grow through that corporate prayer time. It's important that we pray together. I'll be honest, if you can convince me that God was never going to answer a single one of my prayers that I pray on Monday nights, I would still come up and pray every week. Because I think you need to know there's somebody standing up and calling your name out before God. It's important that we know people are praying for us. It's important that people know they're being prayed for. Jesus said, I pray this so they would hear. And he's actually a little bit cavalier about whether or not God hears you, because I know you always hear me. I prayed so they would hear me. So this one might sting some of us a little. Some of us get real uncomfortable when we pray out loud. But if you want to take Jesus' master class on prayer, it means praying out loud for people. Jesus actually prays a long prayer in in John 17 that we're going to talk about next week. Prays for the church. There's a lot of processing. We're going to break it down as a processing prayer, but it makes you wonder how it got in the scripture. How did John write that down? I think he had to have listened. He had to have heard Jesus praying it. Jesus had to have been praying it in a way that John could, could hear it and remember it. So we pray for ourselves by bringing our pearls to God, asking for exactly what we want. We pray for others the same exact way with that little master twist of praying so they know we're praying for them, so they hear us. And then comes the toughest prayer of all. You've heard where the law says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. I say love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So this is the third type of outward prayer, and it's a doozy. But in my opinion, this is essential to the Christian journey. Jesus explains why it's essential in this passage, actually. He follows up this statement with this. In that way, you will be acting as true true children of your Father in heaven. For he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good. And he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. If you love only those who love you... What reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you're kind just to your friends, how are you any different than anyone else? Even pagans do that. I was a little bit curious after reading this passage, so I did some tiny bit of research. And according to a 2017 meta-study by Pew Research, 55% of Americans say they pray at least daily, which sounds pretty awesome. If, if over half the country is praying daily. Except for the fact that 20% of those say they don't believe in God. They just think prayer is healthy. In the UK, the percentage of people who pray daily is lower, but about um, 75% of those 
said they don't believe in a God who answers prayer. Most people, when asked how they pray, say they only pray for uh, good things to happen to them and their loved ones. That's their definition of regular prayer. Just incidentally, in case you want to know, America's basically right in the middle of all the countries surveyed in, in regularity of prayer. 47% of countries surveyed, they pray way more than America. About 52 pray less. We're right about in the middle. So when Jesus says, how does praying for people you love make you any different? Apparently even atheists do that. And that statistic still holds. But Jesus offers this litmus test. And it's a tough one. And we might someday do a, do a, a series on Jesus' litmus tests. Because we tend to have these litmus tests in cultures. Every culture has them. Like this is how you know someone's a Christian. Christian. He doesn't drink, smoke, cuss, gamble, or dance. You know, whatever. And we all have them. This is how you know somebody's a Christian. Jesus had some funky litmus tests. He had things like, they'll know you're my disciples by the way the literally 1,200 different Christian denominations treat each other. That's how you'll know if someone's a Christian. Your love for one another. That's a litmus test. You want to know if you're, if you're part of the sheep or part of the goats. You want to know how it's divided. It's how you treat those who are least fortunate. That's one of Jesus' litmus tests. Funny never mentions drinking, smoking, cussing, gambling, dancing. But here he says, you want to know how a Christian prays? You want to know the litmus test? You pray for your enemies. You pray for those who persecute you. Everybody prays for the good stuff. Everybody prays for the things they need. Everybody prays that their family will get blessed. Even atheists do that. You want to know how a Christian prays? Anyway, I could preach a whole series on the power of prayer for an enemy. Uh, psychologically, it's crazy powerful. But I think it's better if we just watch how the master did it. Jesus said, forgive them, or Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. And the soldiers gambled for his clothes by throwing dice. A little bit of background. Jesus' enemies just conspired against him. They turned one of his closest followers. They arrested him. They put him through a few completely illegal, middle-of-the-night trials. They beat him. They humiliated him and made fun of him. Crowds of his enemies just cried out for his blood to the point that they released a, a confirmed criminal just to make sure that Jesus would be crucified they made him drag his own broken body and his cross through the city as they made fun of him then they drove spikes into his hands and feet and stood him up so he would suffocate under his own body weight they tore out his beard they offered him wine for anesthesia that was actually fake. They teased him with fake relief. 
This is not somebody making mean comments on Facebook. If this doesn't qualify as an enemy, I don't know what does. And Jesus prays, God, please forgive them. I'm Jesus, and this is my master class. Jesus doesn't pray that someday they'll get theirs. He prays that God would forgive them. And this is so crazy and so insightful. I don't know if you've noticed that TVs and movies today are consumed with the postmodern narrative. You know, when you watch stuff from the early 20th century, the good guy was always all the way good, and the bad guy was always all the way bad, you know. And now we're, we mix everything up. We've got to make sure everybody knows that the good guy is a dark side and that the bad guy is only bad because people were mean to him and, or he's really lonely. And now instead of just stopping evil, we're supposed to figure out why the person's bad in the first place and so on. I'm not saying all this is bad. It's probably way truer to real life. But I think what Jesus does here is he, pa- he captures the best part of the postmodern narrative in this useful and meaningful statement. Because what Jesus gives us is a completely and utterly true statement. Sometimes when we pray for people, it's, it's complicated. We don't know the whole story. So what Jesus gives us is a true statement we can hold on to, no matter how evil someone is. I personally believe if we could see the real damage that sin does to the completely and utterly innocent and beautiful heart of God, it would probably just burn us up with remorse. That may be what hell is. Just, just to be revealed, just to have a revelation of the real damage our sin did to the heart of God. And Jesus knows that if, if his enemies could see that, if they, had, if they could really know what they were doing to the heart of God, they'd never do it. When David sinned against Bathsheba, his entire household, Uriah, Joab, all the men who died with Uriah in the battle where, where David conspired to have Uriah killed. Bathsheba herself. When he came to grips with all of that, even his own heart, and he, and he finally turned to God in forgiveness, he says, God, against you and you alone have I sinned in Psalms 51. He recognized that the real damage that my sin does is to the heart of God. I don't care how mean or evil someone is to us. I can guarantee this. If they had any idea what their actions do to the completely innocent heart of God, they wouldn't do it. Never would I ask you to say what someone does is not evil. Never would I ask you to pretend like it doesn't happen. Never would I ask you to sweep it under the rug. But you can pray like the master did. God, they have no idea how bad they are hurting me and hurting you. If they had any idea, they would act differently. Forgive them. They're ignorant of what's really happening here, just like I am. But I think there's an even more important reason that we pray this prayer. Sometimes we mix up forgiveness and consequences. Something Somebody does wrong. We know we're supposed to forgive them. Uh, but if we're honest, we don't want them to get off scot-free either. So if we don't press charges or we 
we fire them or we end a relationship. We wonder, are we really forgiving them the way Jesus did? And when Jesus prayed for his enemies, he didn't pray that there'd be no consequences. He didn't, he didn't pray that, that this wouldn't play out, that they fall into the pit they've dug. He, he prayed for the eternal prayer. He didn't pray that they wouldn't, you know, be punished for this. He just prayed they wouldn't be eternally punished for this. Sometimes it can do our heart a lot of good if, if we have to watch somebody play out the consequences of their sin and we can't stop that from happening and, and maybe we don't even want to stop that from happening. It can do our hearts a lot of good to go, Father, I know they're getting ready to go down a bad road because they did some bad things, but please forgive them for they had no idea that this is what was happening. They had no idea what they did. It can, be, it can give us a way to allow the consequences to play out and still pray for real forgiveness. Still pray for them. So praying for an enemy doesn't mean we have to uh, allow ourselves to be abused or never impu- uh, impose consequences. It just means we pray for what really matters. God, forgive them. Let the relationship with you be restored. Even as they're suffering consequences, Capture their heart. Show them forgiveness. They didn't know what they were doing. It's not an easy prayer. But according to Jesus, it's a Christian prayer. If we want to be like our Father, that's how we pray. So we pray for ourselves with the master twist of pouring out our every heart's desire and then deferring to God's will. We pray for others the same way with the master twist of doing it out loud so they know they're being prayed for. And then we pray for our enemies with the master twist of recognizing at some level their sin is born out of ignorance. They don't know what they're doing. So how do we respond to this? I'm going to keep this really short because the teaching part was long. But last week we started to recognize the daily offices. If you weren't here... We set alarms on our phones for 6, 9, noon, 3, 6, and 9. Or whenever you wake up and go to bed, if, if it's before 6 or after 6 or before 9 or after 9. And we set an alarm just to remind us to pray. And it doesn't have to be a long prayer, just a super, super short prayer. Judy told me this week that uh, she had her granddaughter. How old is Aria? Four. Granddaughter is four. And Judy's phone goes off and Aria pipes up, Grandma, it's time to pray. That is exactly how it's supposed to work. In case you're wondering, the four-year-old did it. Mastered it. Seven times a day. Just this thing that goes, bring God into the moment. It can be super crazy short. doesn't have to be long. Just something to bring God into the moment and recognize that he's there. So if you missed last week, do that this week. Set an alarm on your phone. 6, 9, noon, 3, 6, 9. To remind you to pray. That's the schedule. We're going to put a twist on it this week. Uh, if you like to pray lists or longer prayers, devotional style prayers, focus morning and evening. And then at 9, what I want to do is I want that to be an upward prayer. This week we're going to pray an upward prayer at 9 a.m. 
Some kind of praise, some kind of adoration of God. If you can, find something in that moment and pray it. Like something you're grateful for in that moment. If, if you can't find anything or you're busy, just thank Him that you're breathing. Thank you, God, that I can draw breath. And if you're crazy busy at work and it goes off in your pocket and you can't even get that out, just, Father in heaven, holy is your name. Our Father, heart in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Just, if that's all you got time for, that's enough. Just bring reverence to God in that moment. And then at noon, we're going to do an outward prayer. If, if you can, say a prayer for something you need, something you want. We have plenty of people in our, in our church right now who desperately need healing. Call out their name before God. Something you want. If, if, or if someone's really driving you nuts today and just ticking you off, pray for them. One of the three outward prayers. All three if you can squeeze them in. If you're crazy busy and you can't, just give us this day our daily bread. That's all you can get out at noon? That's fine. Give us this day our daily bread. So at nine, we're praying an upward prayer. At noon, we're praying an outward prayer. And that's it. That's the homework for this week. So what I want to do as we close is I want to pray this book, uh, this prayer from the Book of Common Prayers. I want to pray it together. Would you pray this with me? Pray with me. Almighty and eternal God, so draw our hearts to you, so guide our minds, so fill our imaginations, so control our wills that we may be completely yours utterly dedicated to you and then use us we pray as you wish and always to your glory and the welfare of your people through our lord and savior jesus christ amen